1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: You're very welcome to uh, Wednesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Well, she's blowing for sure and the rain has fallen from the skies. Wow, it is getting rough out there this afternoon. I see in the south of the country, uh, certainly, uh, the storm has hit severely. Storm Agnes, and it's on its way up the east coast as we speak. How severe will it be? Well, we'll see. Well, it certainly uh, deteriorated from early this morning. Early this morning was nice, uh, really, I have to say. I was up uh, at Cockrow as dawn broke, and it wasn't bad at all. But quickly, the uh, winds picked up, the rain swept in, and the rain is really, really heavy. Heavy. Don't forget, if you have anything happens in your area in Lowther, or in surrounding counties, uh, do let us know. We'd love to hear from you and we'll be glad to pass it on uh, over the airwaves here on LMFM Radio. Uh, let us know if there's any uh, issues in your area with flooding, trees falling, anything like that. 086 658. By WhatsApp or text gets us here in the show and we'll be only too happy uh, to relay it to our listeners. Now, just reminding you uh, that our LMFM Radio Bingo Jackpot is €8,200. It's a fantastic jackpot prize. Make sure you get your book because if you're not in, you can't win and you won't be playing. I want to say a big congratulations to Marie Cussin from Minaldi. And Patricia O'Rourke from Dunshockland, who both won €400, Euro. well done to you. And Kathleen Goff from Stamullen, she picked up €600 Euro in LMFM Radio Bingo. Remember, you can buy her book today from outlets across the Northeast. And remember, when you play LMFM Radio Bingo, you're now supporting the Gary Kelly Cancer Support Centre. So the bingo jackpot, €8,200 it's there to be picked up if you buy your book and again if you're not in, you can't win. Coming up on the show uh, today we'll be joined later on by a young man called Porrick Bennett. Oh he's a real talent this fella. He's from the Enfield area in County Mead. He's a young jazz singer and he's writing his own music and this lad is going places. He's the look of Michael Bublé. I'll be saying that to him when I'm chatting to him a little bit later on. We have our top five countdown again from this week in 1983. And i am delighted to tell you I'm going to be joined later by former RTE newsreader Uno O'Hagan. You remember Una and her late husband, Colum Keane? Well, they've published their final book called The Monsignor. It's some story I can tell you about Monsignor Thomas John Capel, an Irishman born in Waterford who moved to London and really set the world alight over there, but he had his flaws. And we'll also be talking about self-defence on the show today with Anthony uh, Canan, and uh, he'll be joined by Patrick Kirk, who's a man who took up self-defence in his 70s. But we begin today uh, with something that we've talked about a lot on the show uh, over the years, and it's come up again in an Irish Life Health of the Nation research survey. Did you know that we as Irish people are now heavier on average than we were pre-Covid, and our mental health well-being has deteriorated and my first guest today I'm delighted to have him with me on the show is talking about this Professor Niall Moyner from the School of Health and Human Performance at Dublin City University is on the line Niall good afternoon good afternoon
3: lovely, lovely to be to be with you
2: thanks for joining me on the show Niall I suppose we, we, we hear about obesity all the time we hear about the fragility of mental health but tell me this what do you believe is underpinning uh, these findings well look
3: obviously covid was a once in a generation event and we're also living in a you know a rapidly changing world a world that's changing at an exponential rate more so than any previous generation in history Just from year to year to year the rate of change and we're able to keep up with all of that and obviously you know, a new fad, obviously, is social media and the impact that, that has on our lives as well. And just the busy lives that we lead with both parents out working, the cost of living, all of these daily small hassles. But when you add them all up, it leads to quite a lot of distress in our overall lives.
2: So it's uh, you're pointing a lot at the new world of social media as being a huge factor and of course the fallout still from Covid which you are still recovering from but look at Niall, it's, it's quite obvious and you've been preaching it for years we need to do more exercise and if you don't, if you just eat too much or take in too many calories and don't burn off you are certainly going to put on the weight Is that message falling with a lot of people on barren ground? Well look,
3: obviously I, I, I've been a strong advocate for exercise in fact... No exercise is as close as we have come to a magic bullet in medicine. There's nothing to beat exercise, but it's not just exercise. I mean, it's, a, it's the broad church. It's our sleep, our smoking, our alcohol consumption, uh, our daily stresses in our life, all of these things together. You know, one of the very disappointing things, what we do in this survey, you know, to be fair to Irish Life Health, we've been learning this now for five years, so it gives us a snapshot, and we don't normally do, do these sort of things in Ireland. So with this, we generate what's called a health score, and it goes from zero to 1,000. And I love numbers, and people love to know, am I good, am I bad, am I poor? So on average, in around 2019, the average was 545 for the country, and that puts us overall in the good category, or the very good. If you're between four and 500, that, 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 that's good. But what's really alarming, every year we're decreasing by 1%. You no, know, and that's worrying. And it's not because of just exercise. It's all of these. It's our poor diet. As you said already, we have, we have increased our body weight. Uh, and most of, the, of our health care budget is currently spent on treating diseases that are due to lifestyle. But we treat these lifestyle diseases with medicine. Why are we not, first of all, preventing the diseases in the first place and then treating them with lifestyle? And we're talking about diet, exercise, uh, reduced smoking, et cetera, et cetera. We have it with each individual has it within their grasp to make dramatic changes. And the good news is it's that those who have the poorest health get the biggest benefit and get it very, very quickly. So if you're listening in here today and you're a smoker and you're overweight and you don't know where to start, within, within three weeks of initiating a change in your lifestyle, you probably will reduce your risk of all causes, dying from all causes by around 10%. In three to four weeks, that's the difference lifestyle can make.
2: When you talk about that point score there of 545 and it's 0 to 1000, how is that calculated? What's that based on? Well,
3: it's, it's, it's calculated on a number of different metrics. So it's um, your physical and mental health, your nutrition, mm. sleep, self-control and physical activity. All of these things come in. And you know what the great thing is, to be fair to Irish life, they have an app called My Life app. Now, and anyone in the country can download this app. Put in your numbers and it gives you a score. And everyone loves to know, where, where am I? Am I good? Am I fair? Am I bad? So anyone listening, I would highly recommend that they download this. I do it myself and my number changes from month to month. I could have a bad month of sleep or, and I, I could have exercised that month, but my number will decrease because it's, it's the totality of your total lifestyle.
2: Uh, Niall, I feel like picking up my phone at the minute and and downloading it and looking at it myself. And I'm going to do that, I promise you, uh, when I come off air today. And I think that's a great one. The My Life app, folks, go in there, put in your details, and you'll get your score, as Niall says. Talk to me about exercise for a moment. How much exercise should the average adult be taking in a week?
3: Well, it's recommended, and we need to be very careful here about this discussion. It's recommended that we get a minimum of 30 minutes a day of moderate to vigorous intensity. Let's put that in perspective. That's going out for a walk. So a 30 minute walk a day will give you, if you say for example you do 30 minutes a day and then you go to 40 and 50, you don't get that much of an added benefit beyond 30 minutes a day. But the vast majority of us don't get that minimum amount. But I want to be very careful and I want to make sure your listener understands that any exercise is better than none. Mm. So if you can just get 10 minutes a day that single bit of exercise, after you do that exercise, you feel better, miss better, you fight off infections much better, you lower your blood pressure, your instant sensitivity, all of these acute effects. And if you do it every day, your body adapts and that reduces your risk for developing these diseases. So if you can't get your 30 minutes, the important thing here is, don't think, oh, I'm getting no benefit now. Even if it's five minutes a day, every day for the year, you're getting benefits. And the other thing, obviously, as we get older, It's extremely important that we maintain our muscle. We lose muscle very quickly, particularly after the age of 30, we start to lose it, but particularly after the age of 60, 70, we really lose it rapidly. And we can maintain most of our muscle by doing simple home-based exercises. Go into Google, look up simple exercises for the upper and lower body, and that can have a dramatic impact, not just on your ability to perform activities of daily living, but on your overall quality of life.
4: What
2: we eat too, Nile, of course, is the other part of this—the exercise and what we consume—and we're bombarded by sugar-filled foods, convenience foods, processed foods. They're there to beat the band when you go to your local shop or supermarket. It's—it's—it's it's, it's hard, you know what I mean? To you know, pass foods like that that are maybe you know within your budget if you if you haven't got a lot of money to spend. I, I can understand that. But talk to me a moment about diet and food and intake.
3: Well, look, you know, you, know, you know, how long do we have? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, it's, you know it's, it's, that, it's that. just... I'm funny, I was giving a lecture to students this morning about this very point. You know, they all came in drinking water and, you know, these sugary sports drinks. And I was asking them why. I said, well, basically what I said to them, is, some guy sitting in a boat in Miami, a millionaire, and he's saying, look at these dumbasses buying all this stuff that they don't actually need because of advertising. Mm. We're just consuming so much caloric dense highly processed food and i think this has occurred very rapidly in the last 30 to 40 years and you know the marketing of the food and the type of food that's been produced now it's you know it really makes us feel very good after we eat it but we get hungry very very quickly and one of the big problems with the type of food this highly processed food what it does it's on a constant basis we're releasing this hormone insulin and every time you eat this processed food, insulin is elevated. And when insulin is increased in your body, you cannot burn fat. Mm. It closes off, it stops you burning fat, and it converts any extra calories that you have into fat. And we're doing this on a consistent... We live in a grazing culture. It used to be, you know, you break your fast in the morning, you get a lunch, and you have a dinner. Now we graze all day, and most of the grazing is on highly processed food. And I think and the marketing to kids... I even see here in DCU, in the store that we have here, you walk in, and as soon as you walk in, it's just a bombardment of confectionery and sweets and one Mm. thing and another. Mm. And once you start this at a very, very young age, it is very, very difficult to to then change that behaviour. So look, the marketing of food, and also the cost of healthy food now, you go into the store, and it is more expensive to buy healthy food, and I think the government really need to take a really hard look at that. Why is all of this processed, highly refined processed food, why is it cheaper than than whole food, uh, particularly from a nutritional perspective. And it it is an issue. And the marketing, we're talking like the food industry globally is a multi-trillion dollar industry. And how do you fight You know their advertising and their influence on both children and adults. It's very difficult.
2: It's difficult, it is. Niall, will you stay there a second? I have a few little ads to take. I want to talk to you more about the mental health side of things. Niall, we were talking about physical health there uh, before the break. Let's talk about the other side of our health, our mental health, and uh, this issue of loneliness. And again, uh, people are reporting the highest ever rates of self-classified stress and anxiety in history. And yet, Niall... God, this country has come on so much. We all have so much. We don't probably realise it. Life isn't all that bad.
3: Well, look, obviously, we're, we are social animals and we love interacting with each other, and particularly us Irish people. We certainly love to interact mm. and to talk. And obviously, the, you know, with COVID, you know, we're still recovering from that social isolation. And there are a lot of people who are lonely, and that's, the survey clearly indicates that and maybe it's something we need to address. But interestingly, I think almost 40% of the nation, you know, would reckon they were severely moderate to severely, you know, stressed or distressed during the year. But really, two important findings really kicked out at me. The one was the number who reported being severely distressed. And it was, you know, it's around 20%. 20%. But last year, it was only around 13% in men. And men have now caught up with women. So... The number who are identifying themselves as being severely distressed at some time during the year is similar in men and women at around 20%. And when it comes to depression, it's the younger cohort. It's those uh, individuals between between the ages of 16 and 34, they are much more likely to be classified as having severe or moderate depression you know, compared to much lower numbers in the other group. And again, I think it comes back to the social media, the pre. I mean, you and I don't understand this, because we didn't grow up in that generation. Yes. But that's the generation they grew up in. They're, they're, they're being compared all the time to some, you know, goddess, you know, whatever the case may be. And the, the pressure that's putting, and it's not just peer pressure. There's a lot of parental pressure put on kids. I see it even here on third level, unrealistic expectations, you know. You know, forging out careers for kids and letting the kids find their own journey through life. I find here, it's amazing. You let them them follow their own path and it's amazing how they all discovered the correct path for themselves. So I think there is a lot of undue pressure put on kids today. Number one, I would question even, why are all the kids going to college? Is there a need for everyone to be getting a degree in Ireland with lots of wonderful trades jobs that are available? But we still this pressure to go to college, get a degree. And I think this is all part of this modern life that's going at 150 kilometres an hour and never stops.
2: So it's back again to this social media and the phones that's in everybody's hand and pockets and available 24 hours a day, even, in fact, when people should be resting and sleeping they're there as well. But the horse is bolted Nile. There's no way back here, is there?
3: Well, I think, yeah,
2: I think, look, as
3: I said at the very, very beginning, this has happened so quickly. As a species, we haven't had time to adapt to this at all. We're going to have to actually change the way that we live because, you know, we spend more time, you know, on screen than we do actually looking at each other in the face now. You know, think of it, rewind 30, 40 years ago. You know, you had to go outside and go over to a local kiosk, most people to make a phone call, even 50 years ago. So the world has changed dramatically. And I think the other thing that we have to be very much aware of, you know, a lot of people are financially distressed at the moment. Look at the, uh, the, the, the the energy bills that people are having to pay at the moment. Just the cost of living to put food on the table and then to be able to, to clothe the kids. So all of these you know, are stresses on top of all the other daily hassles that that we have to incur in the modern world. So it's probably just a perfect storm at the moment. And hopefully we can, you know, with the level of inflation that's starting now to abate, hopefully we can come out the other side of this and we can see the, those numbers uh, improving. But my concern is, you know, if you look at the numbers in most developed countries of the world, you hit the nail on the head. Once we start going in this trajectory where our overall health starts to decline, it is very, very difficult to arrest that. And I believe that we don't have a health care system. We have a disease care system. You get disease and then we look after you. We spent three percent of our healthcare care budget actually on prevention. We need to focus much, much more on prevention. And that, impl- that also includes health literacy. There's a tremendous lack of understanding. of Most people just don't know what type 2 diabetes is and how it impacts your organ systems and how you're going to be in polypharmacy for the rest of your life. You don't understand blood pressure. These are things that we have to address uh, as a nation. Uh, so I think we need a paradigm shift from this looking after diseases to preventing them in the first place because most of the diseases that we looked after that we do look after are entirely preventable or can be delayed by decades.
4: So there our
2: means and ways of doing this—we got to tackle it in a certain fashion, being led by government and the health people as well, and getting people to buy into this. I have to mention, while you're with me, of course, you're well known in this neck of the woods because you spent time up here with Paddy Carr. I think when he was manager, allowed I remember you then well, working in in the in the setup there. So you're very familiar to lots of our listeners today. Is there any uh, truth in the rumor you're coming back with Jer Brennan if he gets the job?
3: Oh, that's news, to, that's, that's news to me. I'll have to tell. By the way, I did my leading cert in the Morris in Dundalk. Did you? So I would have a great draw for Lowe's in general. Yes. I always thought, believe it or not, that they have extremely natural footballers. I could mm. never understand if it's just a case, and Nicky Hart has clearly shown yes. that if they have the right attitude. Louth can compete with anyone I, I'm delighted to see the improvements and I've, you know I have a great draw and I would always you know, I'd say to Monaghan because I lived there and I lived in secondary school there I, I hopefully now they can continue the, the success that Mickey started
2: So you're not denying or confirming that if Jerry Brennan got the loud job you'd be with him?
3: As I said, I'll have to talk to Jeremy and find out <laughs> <laughs> what, the, what the story is. <laughs> you
2: know more about this than I do. <laughs> I thought I'd get an exclusive today from you. Not as well as with me. Anyway, just before we finish, one, 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 one point I just want to come back to for a second. And this whole feeling of loneliness, uh, social iso- isolation, yet we're more connected than ever. What do you say to people who feel lonely today?
3: Reach out. Reach out. There are, there are so many so many resources available today no one should have to live in loneliness and isolation and there are people there who will visit you uh, there are lots of clubs in society what, what, in fact one of the things that I would like to see is these local and national repositories so if I'm lonely at home I, and I'm living in, in Drahada I should be able to look up loud Drahada region lonely type in the word lonely and I should see the services that are available to me there are so many sir, but it's very ad hoc it's all over the place. If different organizations providing different services, we need to have a single repository that allows people who are lonely uh, to access that. And it's, there's nothing worse. As I said, we are social creatures. We love interaction, particularly Irish people. And, you know, it just, it breaks my heart to think that the, some elderly person, you know, that children have left home and they're on their own for the first time. Please, please, please reach out. There is help. Uh, and it's amazing the impact that can have on your life.
2: Niall, it's been great to talk to you today and as you say, this is a snapshot and it's the fifth year and it's very, very worthwhile and I say to people again that app, the My Life app download it now put in your details and see where you are and keep an eye on it as well and uh, more exercise, better eating and uh, leave the phone down and the social media for a while and interact with your friends I think that's the message I'm taking the messages from our conversation today it's been great to catch up with you thank you so much for your time
3: Lovely. Thanks a million. Take care. Take
2: bye care. Bye bye. That's Professor Niall Moyni there uh, speaking to me about the findings of a recent survey from Irish Life. He is uh, Professor Niall Moyni from the School of Health and Human Performance at Dublin City University. Now, I did mention to you about uh, the weather out there at the moment. If you notice anything in your travels or in your area. Just got a message in there that there's a large tree down in on the Summerhill-Dunboyne Road uh, at the corner near the, the nursing home. That's the Summerhill-Dunboyne Road at the corner near the nursing home there. There's a large tree down there. And if you have any other information about uh, weather or things... Uh, uh, that are happening in your area, please do let me know. Here's another one that's come to us. Draw a determined Feckin Road is closed. There's a massive tree down at uh, Newtown Cross. So there you are. Draw a determined Feckin Road, closed big tree down at Newtown Cross. Hearing word of power cuts in the Duleek area. Duleek and County Mead power cuts there. Uh, if you have an issue with the weather, trees down, flooding, power cuts, anything to tell us, please do let us know here in LMFM and we'll pass on the information to our many many listeners 086 1800 658 by whatsapp or text now self-defense is something we really should all have a knowledge of it's a very handy thing to know Uh, many of us don't have a clue about it and life travels on and it's not part of our lives but we're going to hear from a man now who took up Self-defense in a later life, and uh, we'll also be joined on the line by Anthony Conane. He is the founder of Crav Magar. Anthony, good afternoon, and Patrick Kirk. Hello to you. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, hello, Jerry. Hello. Well, Jerry. Great to have you both with me on the show today. Anthony, I'll start with yourself. How is business?
4: Well, it's good. It's good. Things are going well, Jerry. Um, again, you know, the school is growing. Uh, We're fantastic group at the moment a uh, great team and also in the secondary schools as well uh, the programmes are growing all the time more schools coming on board uh, so everything's looking good great great uh, lookout for the future
2: What about uh, young women? Are you getting more coming to you to learn the art of self defence?
4: Uh, uh, like I said to you last time uh, it's, increasingly, uh, it's, it's, it's increasing all the time uh, I have a lot more girls now training in the school than ever before uh, and also uh, again, talking about young girls, there's a lot more all-girls schools coming on, uh, coming on board, uh, the secondary schools, to teach these programmes in the actual secondary schools as well. So there's a lot more girls being involved now in training self-defence.
2: Earl louise was talking to you uh, arranging this interview and uh, she mentioned to you that when she's out walking uh, and she might be alone at times she has her car keys with her she feels the security in having a bunch of keys in, in her hand what do you say to that
4: uh, i i remember i spoke to louise about this um, and she she actually mentioned that to me and i told her i said to her look you know, okay, that's fine. You have, you have your car keys in your hand, but you have to know how to use them correctly and where to attack correctly. I mean, there was a, there was a, a situation uh, not so long ago, I won't mention the actual uh, incident, but um, there was a, a female who uh, defended herself using car keys and uh, it didn't help because, uh, you know, whenever a predator is full of adrenaline and anger, they don't feel pain. Uh, so it's just like anything else when you're in a car accident you don't feel pain until later on when the adrenaline dies down they're fueled by anger and adrenaline and whenever you're actually hitting them they don't feel that pain you have to know where to hit them and uh, actually what we teach in the school is attacking the nervous system systematic pain which is what you need to do you know but uh, again she was actually surprised by that because she would think that if you hit someone in the face with a key key, they're going to back off but when you're full of adrenaline and anger it's just not that easy
2: Okay, then that's good advice uh, to impart today. Thank you for that, Anthony. Well, uh, this is for uh, uh, any age. What, what, what age do they start with you, uh, Anthony?
4: Well, we have junior, junior groups from six years of age. Uh, then we have a teen group as well uh, from 12 years of age or 11, or ten, uh, depending on maturity. And then uh, in the adult group, it's just from any age, from 16 right up until pat is 71 years of age.
2: And he's on the line listening patiently. You see, you can start it at any age, Pat Kirk. Welcome to the show. How did you uh, uh, find out about Crav Maga and become involved, Pat?
5: Well, Jerry, uh, a granddaughter of mine introduced me to it. Uh, she said, uh, Grand I'm in the club there, and why don't you come in? It, it might suit you, you know. Mm. So, uh, so that's how I got started. Neve Kirkpyle is her name, and her dad was in the class as well. Uh, John Boyle, he's an instructor. And that's how I got uh, started, Anthony. And uh, I'm there since. And you... uh, I'm enjoying every minute of it.
2: And and I believe you're a star man uh, uh, in Krav Maga, for sure. You began just before COVID. How did you manage during the COVID?
5: Well, Gerry, uh, during COVID, Anthony was on lane. And that's how we kept in touch, you know.
2: Mm. Anthony
5: was on lane a few a few times a week. And uh, I went online, and then when I went back, when things opened up again, uh, well, we started again, you know. Mm. But, uh, like, in the club, like, there's there's, there's over 40 different nationalities. And, like, there's, there's, you know, like, great crack in the club, like, you know, a great bunch of people. Yeah. You know, and, like, as Anthony said there, what I know is now in the last year, there's a lot of young people, younger people joining,
2: Mm. you
6: know.
5: And uh, another middle aged fella like myself, you know, <laughs> you're only a young fella, so, what are you on about? Oh, yeah, 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 there's no doubt, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm enjoying it, and every night that you go into the club, there's something different, you know, like yes, that's what keeps it going. And like, uh, the, the, the people in the club, like, they're always giving you encouragement, you know what I mean, like, yeah, you know. So that's what I like about it, and uh, it's great for your mental health as well. Mm. And you know, like and and like it, this is a thing that's really taken off this crab, Maga, because yeah. it's uh, it's going to be standard now in most of the armies.
2: Yes. You know? Yes. So. Uh, you, mentally, you, you just, mentioned you mentioned the mental health side of things there, and that is important. I was talking a bit, a, a bit uh, about it to Professor Niall Moyna there earlier on in the show, yeah. but um, you, you, I just want to mention this: you're married to Margaret, and you're her carer, and That's right. uh, yeah. Th- yeah, that takes a lot of, of of your time up. Do you find this is is you mentioned mental health there? When you get down to the club, it's a it's a great help for you to look after oh, Margaret. It's, yeah,
5: oh, it's a life flame, Jerry. Yeah, you know when you get out there and. Uh, you get away from everything for a while, you know. Mm. And uh, it's, you know, you come back refreshed. Yes, you know? yes. But, like, Anthony's a great instructor, like, you know, like, you know, there's no doubt about it, mm. you know.
2: But, and, uh, and, you see, all your life, I just looked, you, you're a former army man. You worked in the docks in the dock for 20 years, we know that. Um, right. You ran, how many marathons? 20 marathons and over, marathons, two, yeah. over 200 yeah. park runs as well. So yeah, you yeah, are an active right. guy. Oh yes,
5: yeah. I like to keep doing something, Jerry, you know. Yeah.
2: And and so, so uh, wh- what does this you know, when you see when I talk about all that and the running and everything, what what's different about this? Well, I know you mentioned you meet loads of people from different countries, it's the social end of it. What about the defence end of it? Have you learned a lot there?
5: Oh, uh, an awful lot, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think you learned about knife defence and even gun defence and you and mm. know, ground tactics, like you know, like there's everything there. As I said, like every night you go in, there's a different night. You're learning a different skill, you know. Yes. And it's it's great, you oh. know. And I I think uh, it's something that en- anyone should have a go at, you know. Yeah. You know. Like Anthony, I meet, young, I meet young people coming in, you know, that yeah. in the introductory course, like you know, and they see me coming out, you know, and mm. they're saying, "Well, sir." Sure. If he
2: can do it well, sure, yes. we can do it. You know what yes. I mean, like
4: <laughs> Anthony. Know. Anthony is he the poster boy? I'm just smiling, Jerry, because uh, you know he's he's such a great asset for the school, and uh, he doesn't realise just how much of a great asset he is for the school. Because a lot of a lot of other individuals in the school would look off the pad, uh, and he wouldn't know that because uh, you know obviously they would like to see themselves at his age training as well, and uh, you know it's it's just great to have him in the school, and, and like you say. He's a great person, great positive attitude and he fits in very well with the group. You know, that's the way we are in the school.
2: And for, for uh, people of an age, it's important for, we mentioned girls there, we mentioned young people and and everybody to understand how to defend themselves. But with people who, with the years, are clocking up like myself and, uh, and Pat there, it, it's even probably more important to know how to be aware of your surroundings and take care of yourself, Anthony.
4: Of course, it's just, uh, you know, it's not only, like I said this to you before, Jerry. it's not only about physical skills, it's about safety knowledge, it's about being more observant, being more situational, having more situational alertness, you know, being more reactive, and also increasing your fitness level too. It's not just about the fighting skills that you learn, the defensive skills that you learn, it's also, there's so much more to it, the mental aspect of it as well. Like as Pat explained there, you know, there's so much more to it, you know. Uh, uh, that's what people need to understand I think more than just uh, it looks very vicious because well if you're being attacked you know it's not going to be nice it's not going to be a nice experience it's going to be traumatic you have to understand that but at the same time, it can be fun while you're learning, you know.
2: Yes, and I, I took that from you. From that time you told me that, I, I realised we can sleepwalk into things. You've got to be aware of situations when you're there and open your eyes and know what's going on around you. Let me go back to Bat there for a second. Um, what's the story with this beard, young fella?
5: Well, I grew that. Uh, uh, I was supposed to be in the Vikings. And then with COVID, then the lockdown, then I didn't get into it. And then the whole thing packed up you know, and the set went north to Game of Thrones, you know, so that was the end of that. <laughs> so I still I still left it on, you know.
2: So, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, it's a smart-looking beard and there's a right length in it. I'll tell you one thing, you can grow a beard uh, for sure. Yeah, What's the yeah. secret? Oh,
5: I don't know. I must be using the right fertiliser. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but as, An- as Anthony said there, like the first thing when you go into the, into the club is, the first thing Anthony will teach you is spatial awareness. Yeah. You know, to know what's going on around you. And I heard there on the news there before you came on, Jerry, about some young fella that his mobile phone was stolen. Mm. And that's what Anthony will teach you. Don't go round the town with your mobile phone in your hand because you're only asking for trouble.
2: Yeah, you know? you're, you're advertising yeah. it. That's that's yeah. for sure.
5: But uh, I'm in, I'm enjoying every minute of Jerry, uh, Jerry and I'll keep on as long as I
2: can. It. Oh, do you know? do indeed. Do you know a fella yeah. called Nigel McKenna?
5: Nigel, I do indeed. Yeah, yeah, he's. Cousin of mine. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. been
2: in touch all the way from New York to wish you well and says it's great to hear you on the radio oh, today. He's listening great, to you. That's
5: great, Nigel. That's, thanks, Nigel.
2: Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Small so, uh, world it, it, it certainly it, is. It is indeed, Jerry. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, for anyone listening today who'd like to find out more or uh, join in with you, what's the story? Okay, uh, our skill is...
4: Um, <clears throat> I'm, actually sta- I'm in the school now at the minute. I'm actually looking out at this rain coming down, the wind blowing. Mm. Um, we're right we're in the centre of the dock uh, behind the Imperial Hotel there. Um, and, uh, you know, if you want to contact us, you can call in any time. We're on River Lane. Uh, my number is 85 Or if you type KMSI into Facebook or any social media, uh, we'll, we'll pop up and you get all the information.
2: If you're not living in Dundalk, you can travel up. Of course, it's not a, a long distance with the motorway. You're well connected from everywhere in the wee county and beyond. But, but but you outreach as well, don't you?
4: Yeah, yeah. We our instructors travel different parts of the country to to uh, conduct programs and workshops. Uh, uh, specifically, you know, in schools or uh, you know, it could be uh, any any type of uh, workshop. Uh, sexual violence, uh, counter sexual violence or even just a enormous self-protection seminar or workshop. We would travel the country to uh, conduct these. Like, uh, yes, uh, on Monday I was in Sacred Heart in uh, Drogheda. We were teaching uh, 125 uh, young girls in there. And the topic of discussion was defense on the ground. And none of the girls before they walked into that class had any idea how to defend themselves from being strangled on the ground. And after that class was finished, you had know, 125 young girls who now know how to defend strangulation on the ground. Mm. And they never knew before they walked into that class that morning. Yeah, that's... So that's the benefits of it, especially in the schools.
2: Yeah, huge benefits indeed. You're great at what you do. Uh, check them out, Krav Maga, K-R-A-V-M-A-G-I. You'll get all the details there if you check it out online. You're doing great stuff. You really are. Wonderful work. And Pat, finally to you. keep.
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com weight loss. That's weightloss.
2: weight
5: loss. Oh, yeah, definitely,
2: Jerry. <laughs>
5: and Anthony does one to one classes as well. Yes, yes. You know, yeah.
2: yeah. So yeah. look,
5: Anthony, give the number there, and anyone who wants to get in touch with him, you know.
2: Well, listen, so, you're fantastic yeah. and you're a great guy, and uh, keep her going. But for today, thank you both so much for joining me on the show, yeah, Anthony yeah. and Patrick. Lovely to talk to you. Take Thanks, care. Jerry. Right Take care of yourselves. I Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, I'll tell you, Anthony Canaan, he's one great fellow and uh, what he's... Just that example there with the school, isn't it fantastic? It really, really is. Uh, there's a tree down at Greenmount blocking one side of the road for traffic Heading towards Dunlear. A listener says you got to approach it with caution. That's Greenmount in County Louth, a tree down blocking one side of the road heading towards Dunlear. She's blowing, it's raining, there are problems out there. Slow down, take care, don't go out if you don't have to. If you have any disruption in your area, I say it again, let me know 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text, and I'll be very happy to relay it to the listeners. Vanessa Carlton and the thousand miles. Looks like the storm is moving a thousand miles very quickly. Yes, the storm, Agnes, uh, moving up across the northeast as we speak. A large tree down across the main road between Castle Bellingham and Dunlear, just opposite IFM. A listener has been on to tell us. Please do take care out there on the roads. And it is wet as well, storm raging, and there are difficulties happening across the northeast. If there's any issue in your area, I say it to you again, you're quite welcome to let me know. 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text gets us here and we'll pass on the information for sure. Vera was in touch to say she really enjoyed the interview with uh, Anthony and Patrick. We we're talking about self defense just a wee while ago. Uh, she thinks it's so important for girls to learn self defense as a compulsory cor- course in secondary school. Thanks indeed for that message, Vera. Yesterday, Louise, the clampers were out and about yesterday. We had the story of the lady from Navin who was clamped, went to the small claims court and won, Louise, which mm-hmm. uh, she deservedly won. Well, listen to this We, as a follow-up. Casey in Dundalk, Louise, uh, was in touch with me. And she said, uh, I've been just listening to your story about the car being clamped in Navin. Let me tell you my story. I got clamped by the same company at a car park last Thursday at the Imperial Hotel in Dundalk. I parked right under the big blue sign. I paid for my ticket, Jerry, and put it in uh, the car. I had a hair appointment in Mizu at 12.30. I came out and there was a big yellow clamp on the car. I honestly believe they were sitting watching me because the time was only just up. I phoned and got through after a while on a UK number and the lady said she had access to three cameras in the old Imperial car park and they looked at me, putting my ticket in, but they said it was upside down, Louise.
8: Ah, here.
2: Uh, That's...
8: uh,
2: I I listened to a lot of nonsense on the phone over and back and then she put me on hold. I can't see their cameras, but she said she and her colleagues, and I quote, look back over footage and how I put my ticket on the dash isn't the way their company accepts tickets. They wouldn't take the clamp fee then uh, over the phone, only online. I had to, Jerry go to the bank, uh, lodge in some money, lodge the money, go to the bank, lodge the money, wait for the money to go through, wait for the clamper who told me, you won't get anywhere if you appeal this with them, um, and there's no point in appealing. Uh, and that was the end of the story. Um he said he was just doing his job. I was late collecting the children. It was absolutely mm. awful. It took three hours to sort out and the fine was 125 euro. The hairdo was a flop. And <laughs> <laughs>
8: oh, poor thing.
2: The hairdo was a flop. Oh, poor Casey. Oh, oh my God almighty. And it's the
8: waiting around, you know, whatever about the money. Like that's that's awful. It is awful.
2: You know, if you had any humanity in you, and you went in and you saw a ticket Mm -hmm. on the dash, you'd think wouldn't give the benefit of the doubt, maybe. Yeah,
8: I remember years ago, and I had parked and up. I was say a a, a euro for an hour, but it was a fiver for the day. Yes, but I had only like three quid on me, so I got three quid of a ticket and I put it on, and then. Whatever half 12 or something, I, I took my lunch break and ran out, got changed, and got another two euro. And so I put the two tickets side by side, yes, and came out at half five, six o'clock, whatever it was. And I was clamped.
2: Oh my god! And
8: I rang them, and they were over, oh, they were about 30 miles away, so I had to wait around. I was heavily pregnant at the time for about an hour, very emotional, as you know, when you're pregnant, yeah. And um, I, I it was because even though it was a fiver a day. You had to buy it on the one ticket. So Aww. I had three euro and two Zero. euro side by side, and they still clamped me. Didn't count. No. They're just, they're still getting the fiver, like. Uh, I just don't understand, I, you know, I don't understand mm. things like that.
2: We became good friends and sadly he's no longer with us. I'm talking about the wonderful Keen. Keane. Anytime he had a new book, he came here to the studio in Drahat and in uh, more recent times, his wife, Una Hagen joined him and I'm delighted to say on the publication of his and her final book called The Monsignor, Una is with me today again. Afternoon, Una.
6: Good afternoon, Jerry. Good to talk to you as ever.
2: Oh, great to talk to you too today on the show. Well, I have to say, this is a fascinating book and may I say a departure from the norm for both of you.
6: Yes, you could say that, although you have to remember that Colm and I both did books, uh, well, we did a book on pets uh, together and Colm had a wide range of interests. He did books on sport, psychology, um, music... You know, he had a wide range of interests. So Mm. he was always interested in a good story. And this is an extraordinary story.
2: Extraordinary, I have to say. Uh, The monsignor in question is Thomas John Capel. He was born in Waterford. And my word, did he make such an impression in the UK where his family subsequently moved uh, in the middle years, say the 1850s or around then. How did she come across him?
6: We actually came across him when we were researching our book on Lourdes uh, and the Irish connection. And Monsignor Capel actually met Saint Bernadette, so of course he was of interest to us. Mm. But when we were doing our research, we kept coming across these references to his mysterious fall from grace. You know, there were hints about veiled hints about women, and um, you know, his wild spending, his drinking. And, like, Column and I just looked at each other and said, you know what, there's got to be something in this. <laughs> and <laughs> as we discovered, there was more than something, there was a
2: lot. Oh, my, was there a lot. On the book, the subtitle of the book, the Monsignor says it all, The Man, His Mistresses and the Missing Money. Uh, oh, my, that the intrigue in those words alone makes you mm-hmm. open the covers and, and start reading. Look, he was, you know, in an Irish context, uni, you'd say, he was some boy.
6: Well, actually, yes, uh, a a Kerry guy that I know called him some bucko as well, which I think (laughs) (laughs) gets to the heart of it. He was mad, bad and dangerous to know. He was very good looking, very handsome, very charismatic, intelligent. He had it all going for him. He was the poster boy of the Catholic Church at the time. But underneath that, he was uh, ambitious. He was ruthless. He was um, heartless, I think, and without a conscience. Mm. And it's those two differing sides of his personality that really gave him that amazing life. I mean, he he pulled himself up by his bootstraps. You know, they were a poor family. His mother was the daughter of a farmer. Her name was Mary Fitzgerald from Whiting Bay, which was just near Ardmore. And his father was a member, was English and a member of the Coast Guard. So they were, they came, he came from poor, poor circumstances. But by dint of his intelligence and hard work and energy, which he said he, um, he inherited from his mother, he managed to, you know, make himself a, a celebrity preacher, a sermonizer of renown, not just in Britain, but across Europe.
2: And he was in demand. When he appeared, by God, the churches or the venues wherever he preached were packed. He actually came back to Ireland and did a tour, didn't he, at one stage?
6: He did, he did. He spoke in Dominic Street in Dublin. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but the big one that he had was actually in Cork. He went to a church, St. Peter and Paul, and he gave 11 different sermons over a kind of a week, and there were 2,000 men at each one and the description is fantastic like they had all the latest technology they had these huge gas double gas lamps and the description of the light and cable being bathed in the light mind you it was unusual that there were so many men because normally it was women and i love the description of when he was in america and he did this nationwide tour back and forth from the east coast to the west coast and he was in this huge concert hall and it was packed with women uh, who all had opera glasses and they kept them glued to their face when they were watching the senior <laughs> perform. I mean, he had some effect
2: on women. He had. Now, Kensington in London, he'll always be associated with. And the 1870s, really, he was cock of the walk there. He could do no wrong. He was a brilliant preacher. As you say, he was good looking. He was a great orator, persuasive. He had the links with the aristocracy as well. What, what happened or what stage of his life it, did it all go horribly wrong? Well, the
6: first record that we came of a complaint against him was around the early 1870s. But it was actually towards the end of, de- of that decade that things began to fall apart. And really it was because his behaviour was so outrageous that the church eventually decided, you know, to take some action against him. Uh, I mean, his boss, Cardinal Manning, was a good man. But, for example, that first complaint that that we found out about, that was from two sisters whom Capel received into the Catholic Church. And they accused him of acting immodestly towards them and towards their servant. And they complained twice to Cardinal Manning, but he did nothing. Uh, But the key to it really was a young woman, a lovely young woman called Mary Sturton, Her mother was was actually from Tipperary, from Bloomfield House in Tipperary. And uh, Mary did not get on with her mother. Now, they were a wealthy family, but Mary's mother held the purse strings. um, And Mary made a mistake. She had a brief affair with a married man. She was introduced to Capel. Somebody decided that, you know, she needed Capel's spiritual advice, and that was a very bad idea. Anyway, I won't go into the the gory details of it. But even though she was only 23, he was 38, 39, she actually had the gumption to complain about him and continued to write to Cardinal Manning. So eventually, as I said, it was, you know, Manning just could not... He he was afraid that Capel's behaviour would actually bring the Catholic Church in Britain to its knees. So mm. he, he set up an inquiry into them into him.
2: He was moved though, and like this is resonance with more recent times here mm-hmm. in Ireland. When when his boss couldn't handle him, all they did was move him somewhere else, and his dalliances continued.
6: Yes. I mean, they wanted him to go to America. <clears throat> that was first in Westminster when when Capel was found guilty um by the the inquiry in Westminster he didn't take his you know punishment lightly. he went to Rome and fought for three years um against the decision uh, he didn't succeed, but they what they did was very strange. There were 13 cardinals decided he wasn't guilty, but he wasn't innocent either. So, you know, you'd need to think you need a few hours to get your head around that. Yes. But eventually the Pope said, why doesn't he go and hide in America? And that was the great plan. Everybody approved of it. But your people, when he went to America, didn't hide at all, you know? Um, I mean, there's the, the story I love where he was um, invited. He was a guest of honour at the a uh, gala banquet dinner uh, held by the New York police and superintendents, and there were uh, oh, in the very fancy Delmonico's restaurant, of course. And there were but two hundred guests, six hundred bottles of wine were drunk, and Capel seems to have drunk an awful lot of them, because uh, there was a, an eyewitness at the event who said that he had never seen a man as drunk as Capel. He was absolutely paralysed. So the Monsignor felt he had, this got out, the Monsignor felt he had to apologise to uh, Cardinal McClusty of New York. And he he blamed the smoke, which I think has to be one of the most original excuses ever. He said the smoke made him dizzy. It always had this effect on him. He forgot his speech. And basically, that's why he was. Scattered,
2: although he didn't use that word. <laughs> <laughs> Una, we just stay there a second. I have a short break to take. I want to uh, continue sure. the conversation. This is so interesting. The book is called The Monsignor. Una O'Hagan's with me. We'll be back in a moment. We're talking about Monsignor Thomas John Capel, the subject of a fascinating new book called The Monsignor by Colin Keane and Una O'Hagan. And Una is with me this afternoon on late lunch. A philanderer, uh, well, uh, uh, unbelievable philanderer, Una, as you were mentioned there, about the so many women at uh, this side of the Atlantic and the far side as well. The other thing about him, Peter's Pence, and I, I remember learning about this Peter's Pence. It was a fund in the church set up to fight poverty. And um, mm-hmm. it, 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 it helped this man as well. He helped himself to it, didn't he?
6: He did in a spectacular way. I mean, I think it's still going today. It's it the hope charity. Yes. And uh, Capel obviously made a huge impression on a very wealthy woman called Alice Bowler. She was in Cincinnati and she gave him a cheque for $1,000. Now $1,000 I think would have been around $25,000 in today's money. Mm. It was an awful lot of money and this was to go to, Peter, to the Peter's Pence Fund and uh in those days, and in fact, they did it up to, well, maybe 20 or 30 years ago in Ireland, when you issued a cheque, the cheque, when it was cashed, would come back to you. So when Cable cashed the cheque, the, the, the cheque came back to uh, Alice Bowler, and she saw that it had been cashed in Tiffany's, the jewellers in New York, very upmarket. Mm. And she was thinking, I wonder why, what he spent it on. So she got in, con- wrote to Tiffany, got in contact with him, said, "What did um, Monsignor Capel spend this on?" And it turned out to have been a diamond bracelet. So you just wonder who was the recipient of the diamond bracelet.
2: Yes, he was an appalling snob too, wasn't he?
6: Oh God, he was such a social climber. Yeah, I mean, he really was. I think the best example of that is he was in Oxford. Uh, one of his biggest achievements was where, when he managed to convert the richest man in the world to, to Catholicism. Um, he ended up in Oxford, because that's where the Marquis of Butte was. And uh, after just a few months there, apparently reporters would, would comment on, on this beautiful University Oxford accent that could just transport you to, to, <laughs> to the university down and he hadn't even gone to the university you know yes. he was he was extraordinary the other thing i want to say is that he was also he he took money from people you know which like it really showed he had no conscience um mm. you know to women in particular who who just couldn't afford it there was one woman um who, you know, she had come into to a bit of money. She, was, uh, she wasn't wealthy, but she had a bit of money. She was a servant. And this little nest egg was to keep her going for the rest of, the, of her life. Because don't forget, there weren't any pensions or anything like that. And he, he took it for her, promising he'd get a better rate of interest for her. Of course, she never saw the money again. I mean... Yeah, that's,
2: shocking that's Shocking stuff. Yeah. And when you mention all this about him, he had so much talent and ability and that persuasive aspect to him. Yeah. But on the downside, the philandering, the stealing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the drinking, which he, he, as my mother used to say, he drink like air and dry. Uh, and, yeah. and, and that was him for sure. Yet the collar protected him, Una.
6: It did. Absolutely. There were, as I said, Cardinal Manning and wanting to protect the church kind of saved him. But it was his own... Absolute arrogance as well. That like he he couldn't. If anybody ad- attacked him or criticised him or anything, he was a sight to behold. You know, you wouldn't take him on lightly. But yeah, the clerical collar—it was like I don't know, just a, a kind of a superpower that he had. It, it protected him for a very very long time. But I think even even Capel, it would—it was the sheer scale of what he was at that. They, they just couldn't, they couldn't keep a lid on it anymore. Mm. I mean, if I can tell you just one other story about um, Sergeant Schmidtberger. This again, he was in America. This is what the guy was doing. And um, Cable met, a, he was a police officer, met him in the West 30th police station. And Schmidtberger, big, big man, was showing Cable the, the New York police club that he was holding. And he said, I I can disable anybody with this uh, club in just a couple of minutes and Capel said, No, you couldn't do that to me. Anyway, eventually Schmidtberger took on Cable. and uh, within minutes apparently Cable had Schmidtberger on on his back and, she, and standing over him shouting, This is the church triumphant <laughs> So you could <laughs> have that thing that kind of thing getting out particularly in America the newspapers were very very quick to publish anything they heard you know? yeah
2: he was a rogue you know what I mean oh, he yeah. really was a man of the cloth but like he had so many uh, you know downsides to him as well it is an absolutely fascinating story just back to the women for a moment before we finish Coco Chanel and this man
6: I know isn't it a fantastic story unbelievable um, yeah monsignor capel had a brother called arthur capel now he became a very wealthy man so there was something about this family they were all very talented Mm. so arthur capel made an an awful lot of money in kind of um logistics yes that's what you'd call it nowadays and he had a son also called, called arthur but better known as boy capel and anybody who knows anything about coco chanel This guy was absolutely crucial to Coco Chanel becoming the global name Mm. that she became because he was her lover. He was the love of her life and he gave her the money to start up her business. Not only that, but she took the inspiration for her designs from his clothing. There's a lovely photograph on the internet. You really should look it up if you you can find it. He's leaning against... um, uh, a fireplace, and he's wearing a beautiful, tailored jacket. It's absolutely oh, it's, stunning. Uh, he looks fantastic. Yes. and of course that's where Kate, yeah. uh, Chanel got her um, got her inspiration yeah. from. but the the total irony of it is that in Coco Chanel's apartment to this day, on one of her mantelpieces, there is a bust of, of this Monsignor Capel. There is, there yes. is, and that's the,
2: that's, yeah, it's there and it can be seen if, if you pay a mm-hmm. visit. It is in that apartment. Una, I have to leave it there today. The Monsignor is the name of the book by Column Keane and Uno Hagen. Congratulations. It's brilliant. I absolutely enjoyed it. Lovely.
6: That's great. Good to talk to
2: you as ever, Jerry. You too, Una. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Uno Hagen there talking to me about the Monsignor. It's blowing a gale here at the minute. There's a hoolie going on. I can even hear it here from within the studio, which is fairly well soundproofed. So it shows you the winds are strong. Uh, They really are. And there's uh, quite a few things. Check if you have anything on, usually on a Wednesday night. There are quite a few cancellations uh, because of the weather. And do keep them coming to us. You've been very good. Tell us if there's a tree down in your area Of this flooding, if the ESB is off. Anything to do with the storm, let us know here on LMFM. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text gets us straight here to the studio. Thank you to everybody who sent me answers for the new book by the late Column Keane and his wife, Uno Hagen. I was talking to Una there before three. Uh, quite a number of you saying, lovely to hear our voice on the airwaves again, Jerry. Thank you for those nice messages. I have a copy of this fascinating book called The Monsignor to give away and the question was, this had a fling with Coco Chanel he had indeed I asked you from what country does Coco Chanel hail she is French French or France was the answer I was looking for and the book today is going to Iris McDade well done to you Iris we'll be in touch to make the arrangements enjoy it it is a fascinating read it's time to do this right now on Late Lunch
9: Five, four, three, two,
2: one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number three from this very week in 1983. And when I tell you today's track comes from an album called Let's Dance. Let's Dance, does that give you the clue as to who it is? Yes, it's Mr David Bowie today with this one. And this song was written by Bowie and produced by the wonderful Nile Rogers from Chic. Nile, what a talent he is. Uh, it's regarded as one of the best songs on the album Let's Dance, along with China Girl and the title track itself and would you believe it this one has since been uh, called one of Bowie's greatest ever songs it made its way up the charts big hit for him, didn't get to number one peaked at number two on the UK singles charts and 14 on the Billboard Hot 100 in the States, yes number three from this week in 1983 it's Mr David Bowie and Modern Love (coughs) David Bowie and Modern Love is our number three in our top five countdown from this week in 1983. Um, getting reports from Kells that the sun is shining there. Thank you indeed for that. And... Um, good God there's another one from a listener and I understand what you're saying hi Jerry an airplane went across low flying my house in Maharat Clune just there now I wouldn't like to be on a plane today <laughs> I would not oh listen I don't mind flying at all but I have to say to you I'd be uh in trouble today on the plane I would be really nervous imagine coming into land in those winds you'd be buffeted about and if you're a nervy flyer at all oh my oh my could be a lot of cleaning to be done on airplanes today if they get down on the ground safely I hope they all do and there's no issue with them but there you go yes you're right there I would not like to be flying today that is for sure uh, another picture sent to me there from Navin of a beautiful rainbow in Navin Oh, the most beautiful picture. That is wonderful. Who are you that sent me that picture in by WhatsApp just now? It's a spectacular rainbow with a house... That's a picture. That's a picture and a half. Get that one saved and framed. I love it. A lovely rainbow in Navin at the moment. The storm's going to blow through, that's for sure. But we've got to take care. Any news, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text, let us know. Final break of the afternoon and afterwards, we hear from a young man from just outside Enfield in Mead and he's a rising star when it comes to jazz and jazz music. My good friend Cecilia Quine has been on to say they have a rainbow in Nace too. Should they have everything in Nace? Should have you had anything up this neck of the woods, they'd have it in Nace as well. Good to hear from me this afternoon. Hope you're staying safe from the wild weather. Now my next guest is a young man from the Enfield area in County Mead. And he's making waves in the world of jazz. Afternoon, I'll say to Porrick Bennett. Hello, Porrick. Hi, how are you getting on? I'm getting on well. Thanks for joining me on the show. You're a young lad, nineteen years of age, going down the jazz route. I don't mean this is disrespectfully, but for a young man, it's an unusual path, isn't it?
9: Well, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd, I, I would say, well, not unusual, but I, you know, try my best to kind of try to branch out and write in as many different genres as I can.
2: Yes, and it's great to see, I have to say, because you are a multi-talented musician. Guitar, violin, a lovely voice as well. Take us back, where does the music come from? When did it begin for you?
9: Uh, well, I started violin lessons at the age of seven and uh, I, I remember I had to get surgery done to get it removed off my neck because I was practicing too much. <laughs> but uh, I, Yeah, but uh, from a very young age, I've loved music and it's, I, I'm lucky enough to be able to pursue it now in college studying music education.
2: Great stuff. So you are associated with the Royal Irish Academy of Music. I know that. And what are you studying at Trinity at the minute?
9: Um, music education. So it's a four-year course uh, to become a secondary school music teacher.
2: Very good. And uh, you mentioned the violin as well. The guitar. Does the, does when you when you start with violin, does guitar come easily then?
9: Well, I I started the guitar when I was about I'd say first year, so I would have been. Twelve or thirteen, but uh, I've, I've well, gone from one to the other. Uh, the strings are actually the other way around, but uh, but yeah, I I coming from a string instrument, I suppose it was easier to move from that than say to something like the saxophone.
2: And you, the sax, of course, a fantastic jazz mm. instrument. You are writing your own stuff and recording. This is all your own material.
9: Yes. Yes.
2: So, you know, where do you draw that inspiration from? Who are your heroes in the world of jazz?
9: Uh, well, to be honest, I got into jazz because of uh, the because of the saxophone player who had played on the record, uh, Brian Clinton. Uh, he's a good friend of mine in college and he just started in, introducing me to a lot of pieces that we would have done in the college big band and that. And so the record was kind of inspired by that kind of side of things and starting to kind of get into it and and, you know, me trying to write something that similar to what we would have been playing together
2: you, you released an EP back I know in 2021 called the Future Ahead and that went well for you.
9: yeah thankfully it got, it got a good bit of airtime from stations including LMfM so again thanks to you for that it's you know any kind of support is really appreciated by you know independent artists so appreciate all the work you do
2: And then following on from that you've been busy performing in theaters and venues across the country and at different events.
3: Yes,
9: I was there. Uh, I had done a couple of uh, kind of big gigs there in the last year. Of uh, I opened up for a Pete Best show there in the Lost Lane Theatre on Grafton Street, and as well, I had a, I was lucky enough to be able to perform uh, a half hour slot in the Ballet Channel Folk Festival. So, kind of a few big gigs there, and kind of hopefully a few more big ones to come.
2: Yeah, you're making waves for sure. I, I'm looking at you here. I'm looking at the sleeve of of your new uh, single called Broadway. And we'll talk about that in a second. Oh, have we lost him? Have we lost Park? Let's try and get him back there. He's a, a grand young fella. I, you know, jazz at 19 years of age. Not a lot of people go down that road. But this fella is talented. He, he really, really is. Let me remind you again that the uh, LMFM Radio Bingo Jackpot is €8,200. Make sure you get your book today. Well done to Marie Cussin from Analty and Patricia O'Rourke from Dunshockland who picked up €400 Euro each. And Kathleen Goff from Stamullen. She went 200 better with €600. Euro. And remember, when you buy your books uh, to play bingo, you're supporting the Gary Kelly Cancer Support Centre. You're backing me. The gremlins got into the line there, Parik. I was going to say to you, <laughs> I was going to say to you, I'm looking at the the sleeve of your your uh, new single called Broadway. You have the look of buble may I say?
9: <laughs> I, I've surprisingly heard that one before. It was uh, it was said uh, when uh, we ha- when I'd my first single when I released my first single, uh, Joe. actually actually commented the same thing, which. Is both flattering and I kind of uh, <laughs> a bit surprising, but I'll take any kind of compliment.
2: Well, my God Almighty, if you go down his road anyway at all, you're going to be a huge hit. That's for sure. Yeah, just uh, it struck me uh, when I saw it. What about this new one, Broadway? Tell us about this. What's the uh, the inspiration for this one?
9: Yeah, as I was saying, the track kind of came around from myself and Brian playing together, and luckily enough, Brian was able to play on the track with me. So the kind of the idea of the track was kind of the uh, kind of the idea of the, you know, romanticised American dream that, you know, going off to Broadway and kind of being able to perform around in and around there. And as well, just kind of my college experience so far, being able to uh, study in Dublin as well has been a great experience. So it's kind of all that, all those things come together to come into the one song. So yeah, I good. just hope people enjoy it now.
2: Good on you. Well, we're going to hear it now in a, in a moment. It's called Broadway and it will be released on the uh, 30th of September, which is very soon on Spotify, iTunes and other streaming platforms. It's called Broadway by Podrick Bennett. Uh, Check it out. Listen, I wish you well with all you do. Thank you for joining me today and good luck with this uh, new single. I like it. I've been listening to it for the last few days and uh, thanks for joining me on Late Lunch today, Parikh. Uh, thanks for having me I really appreciate it Not at all You're very welcome Take care of yourself That's Porrick Bennett there uh, We're going to hear Broadway In a second That's a lot on the show today Eddie Caffrey's coming next With The Drive Take, take care Mind yourselves this evening And we'll see you tomorrow At half one Here he is Broadway from Paul Rick Bennett. See you tomorrow.
9: What's this? What's that? What's going on here? Why do all these feelings just start to appear? Just when I thought my head was getting clear, you walk through the door. My dear, and I never thought of loving this way. I want you here. I want you to stay. I want love like they have on Broadway.